Hey everyone, this is Tanya F. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. All right. Today is September 10th. I'm here in the studio with a guest, Tanya F. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Well, Tanya, you know how we begin. We read the Daily Reflection to get things started. Would you help us get started? Absolutely. This is the Daily Reflection for September 10th, Recovery by Proxy. Recovery by Proxy? They, the promises, will always materialize if we work for them. That's from Alcoholics Anonymous, page 84. Sometimes I think making these amends is going too far. No one should have to humble himself like that. However, it is this very humbling of myself that brings me that much closer to the sunlight of the spirit. AA is the only hope I have if I am to continue healing and gain a life of happiness, friendship, and harmony. Thanks for reading that, Tanya. Before we begin, uh, what is your sobriety date? My sobriety date is July 26th, 2017. What were you thinking when you read that? What came to mind for you? So really what came to mind there is, you know, I talk a lot about the gifts of the program of recovery. And one of the biggest gifts and my most important gift is the gift of relationships and healthy relationships at that. So it really took me to reflect on on the healthy relationships that I have today. Yeah, fantastic. I get that as well. And and it's about these amends. And I don't know, it, it says recovery by proxy. Uh, and it's almost being facetious at saying, sometimes I think making amends is going too far. Did you, did you ever feel like some of the amends that you had to make were was going a little too far? You know, I, I have to say I was pretty lucky in that on the outside, when I was in the height of my drinking career, everything mm. looked really good. And I didn't hurt or cause harm to many people outside of my immediate family. It was easy for me to make amends to those people that are closest to me. I do have to say there were a couple folks in laws in particular that were a stretch for me. Um, and those took the longest to make, yeah. shockingly enough, but yeah. <laughs> so, so 2017, how long did it take you to get to that section, that part of the, the recovery program where you started to make amends? I started to make amends. I will say that I was in treatment. I was in an inpatient residential treatment facility for 60 days and then did an intensive outpatient program for another six weeks. So I was, I 
started the steps while I was in that treatment center, but got through one through three. Mm. So once I was out, it probably took another six weeks to get to the step nine. So about three months sober, I would say. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's great. And, and what was happening in your life that, um, that caused you to think you might have to change the way you're living and, and actually enter a treatment facility? It was, my life was just falling apart around me. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, everything on the outside to everyone else looked great. I had a marriage of almost 22 years. We had two successful adult children. I had a career that was over 20 years long. Everything on the outside looked amazing. But on the inside, I just couldn't feel anything. Mm. You know, I was dead inside. And what really broke, the straw that really broke the camel's back for me was I was working out of town And so I was staying in a hotel. I had been working overnight shifts, which is not typical for me. And so that, of course, interfered with my drinking timetable, right? Get Mm. off work at 5 p.m., start drinking until I pass out and do it all over the next day. Well, Mm -hmm. when I'm going to work at 7 p.m. and getting off at 7 a.m., I was physically dependent and had to drink at seven Mm. in the morning. So it was Mm. this vicious cycle. And, you know, I'd been told many times by my children, by my mother, by people close to me, you know, you might have a problem. And I could always rationalize my way out of being an alcoholic. There's alcoholism in my family. I have two uncles, but I could always rationalize my way out of being an alcoholic. But I really believe that I had my first God moment or spiritual experience in that hotel room when I was still out of town working in that it was almost as if God was showing me what I had become in this Mm. hotel room, not knowing what time it was, blackout curtains drawn, sprawled across the bed, not being able to function. And that was the moment that I realized that this couldn't continue. I didn't want my life to continue that way. And I had to do something different. You know, I tried all the methods they talk about in more about alcoholism in the book, all of those things I had tried and nothing worked. And it was that, you know, some people call it the jumping off point. I like to say that no, I, I didn't want to drink, but I couldn't not drink. So you you tried to just not drink. What other methods did you try? Oh, gosh, I tried drinking beer only. I tried <laughs> not going to the bars anymore and just drinking at home. I tried mm-hmm. to control how often I would do a shot. You know, I'm only going to do one every hour or, you know, and... It just never, it never worked. How did you get introduced to the treatment facility? So I, the first phone call I made when I had that revelation was to my primary care physician and told him I need to stop drinking and I can't do it on my own, but I don't know what to do. 
he suggested I contact my insurance company and I was either too drunk to understand what they were telling me to do, or they weren't very helpful. So the next phone call I made was to my daughters and they mm. actually did the legwork for me and mm. found a facility here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live that would accept my insurance. And I flew home the next day and they picked me up from the airport and took me straight there. Did you, um, did you have any implications with your job? No, I was extremely fortunate there. I actually work for healthcare organizations, so they're very understanding. And, and really, the facility helped me navigate those waters, you know, submitting the paperwork to take the leave of absence. And I really didn't have to do a lot of that. The treatment center was super supportive in helping navigate those waters. You know, I think so many people are in that position where there's so much fear, you know, not, not only around you know, how am I going to stop drinking? How am I going to stop using? But then like what happens around me? Am I going to make things worse by, by seeking help? And um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing that um, these walls just kind of fall over and things fall into place when, uh, when you, uh, well, I guess when you follow the dictates of a higher power and, and reach out for help, right? Correct. You know, I, it's so true. I hear, so many people that are desperate to change their lives and to get help for this addiction, yet they're so afraid that their work won't understand or, you know, they'll lose their job or no one will take care of their pets or, you know, there, there are so many fears there on top of the fear of, like you said, not being able to to do this and not knowing how to live life without those substances getting mm. us through. Yeah. So I, you know, it, um, like I said, it was easy for me. My, my employer was super supportive and there are, you know, there's ways to, to get through that. The most important thing in, from my perspective is getting sober and, and being in recovery because if your life continues down the path of addiction and alcoholism, you know, if your recovery doesn't come first, all of those other things are going to go away anyway. So important that people hear that. What advice would you give somebody who's in that, that state maybe right now? That's a great question. I would definitely encourage people. I think one of the biggest pieces of advice I have is to be honest with your physician you know, so many times we get asked, how often do you drink? How much do you drink? Do you use, you know, illegal substances? And our natural reaction is to lie because we don't, you know, want to put that out there. But be honest, those people are professionals and, and they're to help. The other thing I would suggest is definitely take care of yourself first. Again, if your health and your well-being mentally, physically, spiritually isn't in place, those jobs, those pets, those children, those families will suffer far worse consequences than taking that leap of faith and being willing to reach out and ask for help. Mm. 
were there other things that you were fearful of? Like, like, you know, how, how were you going to stop? What was going to happen to you physically? Like, what were you thinking in that moment? My biggest fear at that moment truly was how am I going to live my life without alcohol in it? My entire life, my entire family, my friend circle, my entire life and social life and everything that I did extracurricularly to work. I I did not drink while I was working. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything else though revolved around drink, getting together, drinking, eating, having all my friends drink heavily, you know, so that was a big fear for me. What are those? Am I going to have any friends? My life is going to be boring. How can I have fun if I'm not drinking? How am I going to fit in? All of those things. I'm such an introvert naturally and, and alcohol took that away. And so Mm -hmm. who am I? Who is Tanya without alcohol to, to let those walls down and let people in? Yeah, I, I suffered from the same fears. Like, what? How am I going to? What am I going to do at parties and family events and all these things? But so, so tell me what happened in in treatment to kind of alleviate those fears and like, where did the work begin? I think the biggest benefit of treatment for me was being allowed to only focus on my disease and and my healing. I didn't have to worry about everything else going on around me at the same time. But really, I made some amazing friends. I was in a women's only treatment facility. And I shared some of my deepest and darkest secrets with those women within the first two or three weeks that I was there. And they truly cared about me. Mm. They didn't care that you know, I threw the biggest party with the best bar in town or that, you know, I would meet them every night after work for happy hour. They truly cared about me. And I learned, I didn't think I liked women, you know, Mm. I'd much rather hang out with the guys because there's no drama, (laughs) but, but truly forming those bonds with the women who completely understood where I was and what I was fearful of what I was fighting through that really took away that fear of how can I live? We, you know, we learn to, to have fun Mm. without alcohol. And I think that really gave me that hope life can be fun without mind altering substances involved. So I'm, I'm curious, how long did you spend in the treatment facility? I was there for 60 days. Okay. Yeah. And, and you began to work the program of recovery. And when you got out, how did you get plugged in? You know, we were taught in, in treatment that the, the thing to do when you, the day you get out of there, go to a meeting. Um, they took us to some outside meetings when we got to the portion of the program where we could live on our own and and travel outside of the treatment center itself. And so we had been introduced to different types of meetings and, and they really stressed the importance of going to a meeting the same day that you're released from treatment. So I did that. And, you know, it took me a while to be comfortable 
walking into a room full of strangers is, is my idea of hell. But, you know, I went and I sat and I listened and I started to relate to the people's shares and, you know, really that, that room full of strangers quickly became a room full of friends and a room full of hope for me and, and a room full of people that could lift me up when I needed it and support me and, and help me navigate life now that I'm in early recovery. Now, had you tried the program of recovery prior to going into the treatment facility? I, I had not, you know, um, I had no exposure to any of the 12 step programs or any of the other recovery programs out there. So that was my first introduction. Well, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, yep. it's great. It's great that you, you plugged right in. I think some people go to a meeting without much context and, you know, there are many different types of meetings and some good meetings and some challenging meetings. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the advice that I like to give is that you need to go to a, at least a couple, maybe five or six before you, uh, make, you know, pass any judgment, but, um, it's good that you plugged in right away. And, um, what's your, what's your recovery program look like today? Today, I'm still very much plugged into the meetings. I go to meetings at least four days a week, if not more. I do service work. Anytime I'm asked to do service work, the answer is always yes. Um, I have an amazing network of women that I travel with, that I talk to on a daily basis. We've done silly things like, you know, we've gone bowling, we've gone and done art projects together. We have gone on crazy diets together. You know, it's just having that network of, of peers, women and men that truly understand what we go through and how we live our lives based on the principles of the program it's just invaluable to me. You know, mm-hmm. those friends that I was so afraid to lose before are, are not in the picture anymore. All of my friends are in sobriety. It, that work a strong program, you know, that's the other thing is is I surround myself with not only women that are in recovery, but women who practice the principles of the program and live the steps in their mm. daily lives, not just that one hour we're sitting in an AA clubhouse, but in, in their daily lives. Yeah, I, I agree. And some of the most valuable relationships I have today are, are you know, folks I met in, in the program of recovery. So uh, that's waiting for you too. If you're, if you're out there wondering whether or not you're going to dive in and, and speaking about maybe some advice, like Tanya, what, what advice would you have for, for folks that are, that are out there and maybe just thinking about, making a change. Again, I think the biggest piece of advice that I have for anyone out there is to be honest with yourself first, with your physician, if you have access to one. And, you know, as, as fearful as I know it is when you're on that teetering point of 
you know, I know I have to make a change, but I don't know how. Take that leap of faith. Give it a try. You know, we have we have a saying in our meetings here that, you know, give it 90 days. And if after 90 days, it's not for you, we'll refund your <laughs> <laughs> refund your misery and you can keep, you know, but, um, you know, AA or any of the 12 step programs, if they're just such an amazing group of people that, you know, it's it, all walks of life, all areas of society that just, you know, when we're together, those things don't matter. You know, we, we truly love each other no matter what. And, you know, on your worst days, you'll have an amazing tribe to, to pick you up and carry you when you just can't carry yourself. Tribe, I like that. Well, Tanya, thanks so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. It's It's been a great conversation. Any final parting thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you so much for having me, and um, I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for doing it. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.